You've got to get the team together. You've got to figure out what, who's playing on what side of the ball. What position are they going to play? And then there has to be training, right? You have to have skills. You have to have build up endurance. And then maybe you get to the point where you start scrimmaging, inter-squad scrimmaging, right? And uh, you have a playbook and you talk strategy. You might even look at the, the uh, teams you'll be playing and watch film of them and learn. But in the end, in the end, every team has to go out on the field and play the game because practice doesn't mean anything. How fast you can run the 40, how high you can jump, all those statistics from previous years really mean nothing. You have to come to a place where you get on the field and you actually play the game. And sometimes I think within the church, we talk strategy, we train, we learn, we do film, we do video, but we don't get out on the field and play. And Nike used to have a a saying, and it used to say, just do it. And I think the time for us, as far as serving, is really about, let's just do it. You know, there's so many things... And I think it was Chuck Swindoll said, you know, our problem isn't that we don't know what we should do. is We already know what we should do. We're just not doing it. You know, We're just not doing it. It, it, it's, it. It's not that we don't have enough knowledge, though we need more and more knowledge. We have to be obedient to what we already know. And so what I'm going to try to do in this series is try to encourage you to engage your gifts, engage your abilities to serve God. And uh, last weekend at the Mystique Ice Arena, I gave you some really, I think, some good reasons why you should serve. What are the benefits of serving others? Well, I said serving others helps you discover your gifts and abilities. You'll find that when you're serving and doing different things to help people, you'll learn where you're strong, where you're weak, where God has gifted you, where He hasn't gifted you, you know? And, and so you learn that. Secondly, it connects you to community because you realize... Here, here I am, I'm serving with other people. And sometimes I've seen this, where people will serve in areas where they have giftedness or they have burdens and just have a heart for it. And people from all different walks of life are connected because of where they want to serve. And then number three, um, one of the benefits of ser- or, or serving reflects the mission of Jesus. You know, that's really what Jesus did when He came to earth. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to be a servant. And and that was the model that Jesus came. So those were the reasons I gave you last weekend. So this weekend, uh, I want to talk about how to motivate you. Because as a pastor, one of my jobs is to encourage you, to engage you, to maybe be a coach and to get you say, let's go, let's get at it, let's get after it, let's do it, you know. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways I could motivate you. Like I could motivate you through guilt. Some of you have had coaches or parents or pastors that motivate you through guilt. And it's pretty easy to do. You know, you can make people feel guilty pretty easily. The problem with that is it doesn't last very long. You know, you can get out and do something you feel guilty. And maybe it's something you should be doing and you should feel bad that you didn't do it. But ultimately, that's not a great motivation. And I don't really like playing the guilt card. Or I could talk about the benefits of serving and saying, you know, there's a lot of benefits for you. When you serve others, it helps you. And it's kind of one of those weird principles of the kingdom of God that when you start helping others, it helps you. And there's a lot of those things in the, in the kingdom of God. I could point out the good that can be done that 
that when you join other people, you can do things that you could not do on your own by yourself. When you're part of a team, you join others and you can do more together than you can do by yourself. That's why, you know, I mean, we did that picture at the War Memorial and you could have stood out there alone and it would have been okay, but I don't know if anybody would. But when you're out there with 800, 900 other people, you could, you could actually do something. And so that's what uh, we, we talked about. This weekend, though, I want to look at really the heart of a servant. What does the heart of a servant look like? Because my feeling is the best motivation we can have to serve God is to develop the heart of Jesus. If we have His heart, motivation won't be a problem anymore. We will be after it because He got after it for us, right? So how do we develop the heart of a servant? How do we develop a heart like our Lord Jesus? Well, I want to go to a passage that kind of really shows Jesus' heart. It's John chapter 13. It's where Jesus washes His disciples' feet. And I want to just spend a little bit of time in that passage this morning. We'll talk about how can we develop the heart of a servant. Alright, so John 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and to return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. When when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing. But someday, someday, Peter, you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord. Not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray Him. This is what He meant when He said, not all of you are clean. So John gives that editorial comment, knowing that Judas is in the midst of them, knowing that He would betray them. No, so Jesus had a lot on His mind. He's coming to a critical part of His mission. What's His mission? His mission was to come and to seek and to save lost and to give His life as a ransom for many. So that's His mission. His mission is to die. And so he's coming to that critical point where he's going to go to the cross. And he knows that. But he's also preparing his disciples for their ongoing mission. And it seems as though at this point things aren't going really well. They're not going well. Because it seems this was probably during the Lord's uh, table. This uh, foot washing episode took place. And it probably was a time where it's recorded in the Gospels, they were arguing, they were debating about who is the greatest in the kingdom. So things aren't going well as far as these disciples. And then Judas, he's one of the disciples, and we know betrayed Jesus. And 
he did not, the disciples did not understand what it meant to have the heart of a servant. And then he has one disciple out of the twelve that's ultimately going to betray him and kiss him on the cheek and, and rat him out. The event was uh, uh, one of those that he must have had a flood of emotions. And what does Jesus do in the midst of this? He takes off of his, his coat, which is, is symbolic of his position in society, that he is a teacher, that he is a rabbi, that he is their leader. He takes the coat off. He puts on the, the dress of a servant. He wraps a towel around his waist. He gets a basin. He fills it with water. And he begins to wash their feet. So he takes this and he models what it is to be a servant. And here's what I want you to take away this weekend. We can only develop a heart of a servant when we reflect upon the heart of Jesus. You want to have a heart of a servant, you'll get it as you look to Jesus. You won't get it because you've been motivated by guilt or because it will help you discover your gift or because you'll do... You know, those are all good motivators. The ultimate motivator, though, is that you catch His heart. When you catch His heart, you will understand what it is to be a servant. Let's pick up the text at verse 12. So, after washing their feet... He put on a robe, his robe again, and he sat down. And he says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now, let's just stop there. When Jesus says, I've given you an example to follow, we say, well, what did he mean there? Some churches have taken from this then not just should we celebrate the Lord's table and not just should we celebrate baptism, but we should celebrate the washing of feet. And some churches do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just they, that's their takeaway, one of the takeaways from this passage. And, and all I would say is I think that misses the point of the passage because he goes on and he's very clear. He says he, he's got a bigger lesson than just let's wash each other's feet when we get together, right? Because notice what he says. He says, I've given you an example to follow. Well, what's that example? Do as I have done to you. No, you think Jesus is only talking about washing their feet? He's, he's talking about something more than that. He says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. This is a huge statement. Because what Jesus is doing, he's taking the societal norms, the, the pecking order of society, and he's turning it on its head. And he's saying, you're right, I am your master, I am your Lord, but I am also washing your feet. And so he's talking about order, not in this world, but order in his kingdom. And, 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 it's, and he's making a statement about what and who a servant is. He says, he says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. All right, so let's pick up. And there's three lessons I think we can learn from this passage if we want to develop a heart of a servant. First one is this, that Jesus illustrates more than just an example of a servant. You know, there are times where churches and pastors will go to this passage of Scripture and they'll say, okay, our lesson is that we need to serve one another. Okay, And that's true. That's taught here. But that's not 
the lesson. There, there's something bigger going on. We cannot, we cannot do this. We, cannot, uh, we have to remember that there's something bigger going on than Jesus is saying we should serve one another. Because there's something, uh, a bigger message behind that. The, ultimately, we need to see His ultimate mission. That His ultimate mission was to save us from our sins. And we, if we miss the crucial aspect of His mission, we will never forget, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll forget why He came. And, and here's the point. What Jesus is showing us is not just that we need to have a servant's heart and that He was a servant and we should learn servanthood from Him. What we should see is this is a small picture, it's a small illustration of His bigger mission. What was His bigger mission? His bigger mission was to come and come off of His throne, come to earth, climb up on a cross and give His life for us. So in that way, He washed our feet. In that way, He washed our sins away. And so some people would say, well, I like the idea that Jesus is a good teacher and He's an example to follow. But when you start talking to me about Him being the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to the Father and exclusivity of Jesus, then I've got to check out. And I just want to say, please don't do that because what Jesus is saying here is not just, I want you to be a servant, but He's saying, follow my example, not just that I wash your feet, but that I came from heaven to earth to give my life for you and ultimately wash not just your feet, but your whole body. I washed your sins away. Let's not miss that message. It's a much bigger message than just let's serve one another. It's much bigger than that. As we look to the mass, the mission, His mission of serving us, we, and, and, and this is where we catch the heart of the servant. Because if it's just, if, if, if the only thing we draw from this passage is, here's the example, Jesus served, now we should serve. Then, you know, He washed their feet, now we should wash each other's feet. If we walk away with that as our only example, what's our motivation? Obedience to Jesus? Well, yeah. But what if we look at His ultimate mission? And we realize that He came to earth for me. Because He loved me so much. What if we say, He forgave me when I didn't deserve it? What if we say, He sacrificed to the point that He gave His very life for me? Now we're talking. Now we're catching the heart of God who became man. Who gave up everything for us. And gave His life for us. And when we, when we begin to reflect upon that, we understand what, was, what, was, what it cost Him for us. And we begin to gain His heart. His heart of love for us. And when we gain His heart of love for us and His heart of forgiveness for us and His heart of sacrifice for us, then we have a basis. We have a heart. We can, we can build a heart where we want to serve other people. See, what I'm saying is you will only serve to the level of your understanding of His love for you. If you feel He has given you a lot, your heart will want to give Him a lot in return by serving others. See, that's why it's so important to get to the heart of the gospel and the heart of his mission. The foot washing is just a, a small illustration of an, a bigger mission. But when we look at the bigger mission, we realize it was for us. He came as a rescue party for us. It breaks your heart. And you say, you, you tell me where to serve. You tell me who to love. You tell me how, to, how much I need to sacrifice. I'll do it because you did it all for me. So you'll never get set motivation until you get to the cross, until you get to the gospel. If you really aren't impressed or moved by his sacrifice, you find yourself really serving yourself. Now let me just do a, a quick by the way. 
Peter was at a point where he said, you know what, um, I'm pretty good, I'm, I'm good, I don't, I can't, this is not what I want. I'm, and, and there's a mentality, and maybe you're here and you have this mentality. You say, you know what, I'm not that bad, I'm, I, I can do it myself, I'm independent, I don't need help. And men can be that way sometimes, right? We can be that way. And bullheaded, we used to call men like that, they're bullheaded. And, and I just want to say, there is a point where you have to come into your life where you say, I am absolutely helpless and I am absolutely hopeless. And unless Jesus comes in and rescues my soul, I am doomed. I am absolutely doomed. And if you can't come to that place, Jesus will say to you the same thing He said to Peter. Peter, if you won't let me save you, if you won't let me be your Savior, you have no place in my kingdom. No one will stand before God one day and say, I, I, I went to church, I, I was part of this religious tradition, I, I'm a pretty good person, I'm better than most, I have a pretty good resume. You know, He says people will come to me in that day and He will say, I never knew. You have no part of my kingdom. But if you say I'm helpless and hopeless and I need a Savior and I realize you're the, my only hope, my last hope, you're the only one that can give me life. When we do that, Jesus says, then you will find life then you will find forgiveness. Then you will conquer death. It only comes to those that, that allow Jesus uh, to in, in. And if you feel like I'm good enough or I'll do it, or I'll, you're, you're more lost than I, you, you even understand. Don't be like Peter. Understand that there needs to be a point where you, you need His forgiveness. You need a Savior. So the second way we develop the heart, the first way is we look to the cross and we see His bigger mission. And it breaks our heart. And as it breaks our heart, we, become, we begin to have His heart. And as we have His heart, we find service is we're self-motivated to, to serve because of what He's done for us. Secondly, Jesus shows us whom we are to serve. And we often do this. We put limitations on who we serve. We say, well, if they deserve it. You know, I'll serve people if they deserve it. Or can they do me a solid sometime? You know, um, it's like the old uh, the Godfather who says, well, I'm going to do you this favor, but one day I will call and you must, you know, do that. And we sometimes do that. We put this, like, attachment, this tag on there saying, yes, I'll help you. Or if you're, you're further up on the societal ladder and I do you a solid, maybe one day you'll do me a solid. This is a good thing. This will help me up, right? It's a boost. Or we say, well, are they really nice? Because I like serving nice people. Because you know what nice people do sometimes? They reward me or they say thank you and they're very, you know, they're very nice, you know, so I like doing that. But I don't want to serve rude people or people that are, seem unkind or people that just don't, you know, thank me and stuff like that. Or they have to be really needy. I, I have to feel like they're really like at the bottom, you know, like I don't want to help people who aren't really at the bottom yet. And, you know, and, and sadly now we have... Uh, these 90-second commercials with starving children and people on TV. Because what have, what have they learned? What have, pe- what have these organizations learned? They learn that unless you really, really show that these people are at the real, these kids, these helpless, innocent, are at the bottom, then, and, and they pull your heartstrings and they say, no one is there. You'll have to respond. And shame on us if we have to be motivated because of that. Is that really what it takes to motivate us to give? 
Or we say, well, will it take a significant amount of time and sacrifice to do this? I mean, I have a little bit of time. I can volunteer a little bit of time, give a little bit of time, but I don't have a lot of time. And sacrifice, uh, you know, I'm not really big on sacrifice. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a little bit, but I don't really want to put a lot. I'm not going to invest a lot into this. And I just think about Jesus. What did I do for him? I mean, you know, go back. Say, did I deserve it? No. Was there anything that I, I mean that I could do him a solid for? No, really. I mean, he's God, right? Can't really do much for God. He's God, right? Was I really nice? The Bible says, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, Judas is there ready to deny him, and he's washing his feet, kind of giving him one last chance. Did it take a significant amount of time and sacrifice for Jesus? Yeah, I think so. And so Jesus, what He does is He says, this is who you serve. Serve as I served you. Sacrifice as I sacrificed for you. Love as I have loved you. Who did Jesus serve when He was on earth? The blind, the lame, the deaf, the dumb, demon-possessed those who could virtually offer Him nothing, Jesus served the hopeless and helpless. Even His own disciples whom He served argued about which was the greatest. They were ungrateful and believing. They were placing limitations. They were basically saying, well, I'll serve you, but not you. I mean, I'll serve you because it'll help me, not you. Because you can't help me. You can't do anything for me. I was trying to get an illustration about how I could explain what this was like in that culture. And for a f- very small group of you, I think I've got an illustration. For the rest of you, you'll have to listen and maybe it'll make sense. All right. So I'm going to become very vulnerable here and um, reveal that my wife and I have watched Downton Abbey. Okay. So how many of you have watched the show? Yeah. Men, you don't have to put your hands up. Yeah. Some of you, you know, like your hands, like right here. It's like, yeah, my hand is up, but it's not really like I'm not, hey, me, you know, right? All right. So for for those of you that don't know anything about the show, it's about 1920s. It's an aristocrat family that owns this huge, huge property. They just just have tons of money. And it's a, a father and a mother and three girls. And it's about their life in this big castle. It's a big, big building, you know. And they basically live. And their life consists of having breakfast in bed and getting dressed for dinner and talking and eating and Virtually doing, I don't really know what they do. They don't really do anything. Uh, they just sit around and talk and talk and get dressed up and, and they're, they're appalled by certain things. And the things that they're appalled by are little things. Like, so, so you have this going on, all right? You have the family. And then you have the servants, right? And the servants. There's the cook, and there's the the butler, and the footman. I have no idea the difference between the footman and the butler. 
and there's these maids running around, and there's, there's a hierarchy, and every, there's, everything has to be so proper, and serving spoons have to be the right way, and there's eight serving... It's just, it's just mind-bogglingly... Anyway. So you have all of this going on, the servants thing going on, and William, who is the patriarch of the family... And, and anything that goes a little bit wrong, like the servant has the spoon and it gets tipped a little bit. Oh, no, it's just like the biggest tragedy in the world, you know. But there's, no, there's this barrier between the, the family and the servants. And you don't, go, you don't break that barrier. If you're a servant, you don't show up where you're not supposed to be. It's, and you'll, you'll get fired for that. I mean, just, it's just, that's the show, okay? And I was thinking about that. William the patriarch would never ever dream of coming into the servants' table when they're eating their meal separately into their quarters. If he were to walk down there and just show up there, they would be aghast, let alone for him to serve them their meal. It wouldn't even dawn on him. And what Jesus did was that. <laughs> he just, you know, it's like William came down, the servants go, What are you doing here? What, what, what? And he places the plate in front of you, and you go, what, what did you just do? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And it blew their minds. And basically, what Jesus was saying, In my kingdom, I'm here to serve you. And if I'm your Lord and Master, and I'm willing to serve you by not just washing your feet, but by giving my life, I think you know what I want you to do. Right? Here's the third thing that Jesus shows us. Jesus tells us how we can be blessed. Now, we could all nod our head in approval and say, yeah, Matt, you're right. Absolutely. We need to go out and we need to serve. You need to use our gifts we, need to, uh, we, we believe that God has said this is what we need to be. But you know what? Jesus got that. <laughs> he got that. We could talk about this chapter 13 and, and we could walk out and slap high fives and say, let's go do it, let's get after it, and nothing, nothing happens. And he says in verse 17 something that's so, so... It's the difference between getting it right and not getting it at all. And he says this. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. See, the blessing comes not by simply knowing the truth, not by merely hearing the truth, not even by hearing the call to respond to the truth. The blessing comes when we respond to the truth. And we serve. For instance, I can know a lot about forgiveness. I can understand who Jesus was and who God is and why He came and why He gave His life and what that all meant. And I can say, I believe that. I believe, in a sense, that I understand it all. But I, I have never called upon the Lord. I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. 
And the Bible says there's going to be a lot of people that are going to stand before Jesus. We did this. We did this. We did this. We believe in you. We served you. We did this. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You never called upon me. You never trusted me. We never had a relationship. I think we can all agree from our text, the example of Jesus, that we should serve, that Jesus wants us to be like him, that he serves because he serves, we should serve. But unless we take what we have heard and put it into practice, we haven't really heard his words. He says, blessing comes to those who do his words. Jesus says the last words. Now that you know these things, blessed are you when you do them. May we go out and do these things as we use our gifts and our abilities, as God has gifted us with others to serve and bless not only this faith community, but the community that we live in. May God help us to be better servants because we have captured the heart of the one who gave himself for us and served us by not just washing our feet, but by washing our sins away. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, without Your help, we can't do this. Without the cross, without the Gospel, we'll still just be the same old people. But when we catch the fire from the cross, we catch the heart of Jesus, our hearts are broken. Our hearts are remade anew as the heart of the servant, as the heart of Jesus. Help us, Father, not just to be, as James says, to be hearers of the Word, but to be doers also. May we be servants, not for what we get out of it or what we can um, get from it. May we serve because we have the ultimate example of a servant who gave himself for us completely, who calls us to be like him. May we be broken and remade by the cross and by the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.